So today we're talking, we're continuing a series that we actually started last week, and it's called Making the Right Commitments. We commit ourselves to different things in our lives, and even if you say, well, I don't make any commitments, well, you've made a commitment to do that. You've made a commitment to nothing, which means everybody else is running your life. Everybody else's agendas is running your life. So making commitments in your life by choice is so important. And so today we're talking about commit yourself to love. Is there anything else more important in this world than committing yourself to love? Well, let's talk about it. The key to being a loving person is to begin by letting God love you. And until you sense God's love in your life, it's fairly impossible for you to be able to love. Because love comes from Him. And when you let God's love in and then you can love others... You understand what what it says. We love because he first loved us. That's what the scripture says. That's what John said. And there was nobody on this earth that ever really understood the love of God more than John did, the love of Jesus. In fact, if you read the book of John, you understand that John is the one that he speaks of in the book of John as the one that Jesus loved. And what's absolutely amazing when he refers to himself in that is that Jesus never corrected him in in that. He's like, hey, John, listen, I don't need you to be thinking that I love you more than I love the other disciples. Jesus never corrected him on that. Jesus, in fact, he, he validated it. And when John believed Jesus loved him, it opened up doors that weren't open in other people's lives. So there are four kinds of love that are found in Scripture. One is called storge, which is affection. And this is the most broadly experienced love. It's parental care. It's affection from maybe a parent, um, affection for nostalgia, memories that you have. Sometimes people come in and when we sing a song that they remember from when they were a kid, nostalgia comes in and, and uh, they feel this affection towards that. That's called storge. Then there's philia. Uh, that's friendship. The love that comes with friendship. Two or more people that have purpose together. And this is most often the kind of love that you feel in church. We have friendship and we walk hand in hand doing something together Building the kingdom of God together. Isn't that awesome? Uh, so, but can you really have that kind of love? Can you really have that kind of friendship with somebody that's not a believer like you are, that's not somebody that is, is moving in the same direction in life? You can't really have that deep, deeper friendship with them because they're going a different direction in life than you. And so that's why it's so important for us to develop these relationships so that you sense that kind of deeper friendship because there's always going to be a wall that's there between you and somebody else if they don't believe. And that's your purpose in life is to love God. It's their purpose too. It's whether or not they're going to do that. All right. Number three, Eros, that's romantic love, being absorbed in each other, an insatiable appetite to be with each other. Don't you remember Eros before you got married? Hopefully you remember that after you get married too, right? Uh, Number four is agape, that's charity. This is God's love from which all love flows, all right? So agape is the beginning of love, and this is the kind of love that God has for us that allows all love to flow from that. And so today I want to talk to you about committing yourself to love and understanding that without God, there is no love. You see, God is love. 
which means love is God. And the scripture says that all love comes from him in John, 1 John 4, 7. And, and here's another thought. For if any, anyone's to say, for anyone to say that they have love for someone, that is to acknowledge God's existence because God is love. And to say, I love you, to say, I love this. It's recognizing his existence. Love does not exist without God, for he is love. The scripture talks in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I think it's verse 7, talks about how at some point in a moment, God is going to remove his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit from planet earth. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is God's love, God's agape on planet earth. Imagine what that's going to be like when God's spirit departs from planet earth. In a moment, he's going to be gone. And guess what happens also? The church, the people that love God, are also going to go. And in that moment's time, all of the sudden, all of the love on planet Earth is just non-existent. Imagine this place without that. Imagine what that's going to be like. People just trying to survive. People just trying to make it on their own. The world will be filled with anger and hate and discord. Godly affection, godly friendship is going to be gone. Godly romance will no longer exist. And only counterfeits of these emotions are going to exist. That's going to be an awful time, an awful place. I don't want to stay for that. God's Holy Spirit is God's invisible yet tangible agape on earth. And the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit, this is beautiful, He pours this love into you. As a child of God, His Spirit pours this same love into you. Look at what it says. God's love, His agape, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when you give your heart to Christ and you accept him into your life, God's spirit pours his love in you. That's the change that took place when you accepted Christ into your life. He gave you love so that you could love others. Romans chapter 5, this is the concept that's introduced here about God's spirit pouring his love into our lives. And Paul is introducing one of the most major, awesome, amazing discourses on humans' lives being changed in this chapter and, and in the rest of the book of Romans. And he's setting up the book of Romans with us, and he says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love, his agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. He demonstrates his love for us. He shows us what his love looks like. He died for us while we were still sinners. Paul said this, Christ died for everyone. Because God's love is for everyone. And that means you. Everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who your parents or grandparents are. Christ died for you. 
He demonstrated his love for you, and he loves you. You could be the great-grandchild of Hitler, and God still loves you. God's agape is kind of like oxygen in the air. It's for everybody. Aren't you glad you got oxygen today? It's like oxygen in the air. It's for everybody. God's like, my agape is like that. Everybody gets to feel it. Everybody gets to use it. Everybody gets to have it and use it for their own purposes. But here's the beauty of it. God has purer oxygen. He's got better oxygen. He's got better life and love for those that, he lo- that, he, that love him back. And, and he's also, it's like the sunshine in the sky, right? It's for everybody. It's like the rain. It's for everybody. But he's got better sunshine. He's got better rain. He's got better for those who love him back. You say, well, John, what do you mean? God's partial? Yeah. He's got it there for everybody, he's, but he's got better for those who love him back. And that's our salvation. And make no mistake, just because God loves you does not mean that you get to go to heaven. God's love does not just automatically let you go. You've got to love him back. Heaven is for those who let his love in and they love him back and they love people. Jesus said there's only two things that you really need to get done on this earth. One is love God, love people. If you get those two things done, you're okay. So just because God loved Hitler doesn't mean Hitler went to heaven. But the beauty of God's love is all Hitler had to do was say... For one second or less, okay, God, I let your love in, and I choose to love you back, and he'd be in heaven. Now, some people don't like that, but you're not judge. You didn't give your life for Hitler. Jesus did. Love is who God is. It's his identity. God is love, and he pours his love into you so that you can then begin to love others. And this is where God starts. He starts with love. Have have you ever met somebody that didn't start with love, but instead they started with hate and mistrust, and they acted like they were so intellectual for doing it? No, I I I don't let people in. Don't let people close to me. I don't let it. And God doesn't start there. He starts with love. In your relationship with him, he starts there. And our, our default is so, you know, protecting myself, put up barriers, put up walls. But God just starts with, here I am. I'm, I'm here for you. I love you. God starts with love. God is love. His go-to is love. That's who he is. That's what he does. King David wrote this. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion. Abounding in loving devotion. That's who the Lord is. And remember, this is the God of the Old Testament that so many people are afraid of. And David's like, no, he abounds in loving devotion towards me. God is love. And if you read the Old Testament from that perspective, you come to understand that it's truly a love story about God who's frustrated that people have decided not to love him back. 
And it's absolutely amazing. He would use prophets of the Old Testament to exemplify this. And like the, the book of Hosea, if you go read the book of Hosea, he, th- he had this prophet marry a prostitute to show the people, this is how I feel about you not loving me. You've, you're going off and doing all these other things with all these other false gods, fake gods, and all the stuff that you're doing. And God says, I take it personal. Look at this man who's married this woman and she continues to do this. That's passion. That's love. Love is God's way, and it's what he's been looking for. He's looking for somebody who will say, I'll love you back. Commit your way to love. But here's where the tension is, and this is what people don't understand. Love mandates hate. Without hate, there is no love. And where love is, there has to be hate. What do you mean, John? Well, look at what King Solomon wrote. This is David's son. He said, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. He hates these things. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. These are things God hates. You say, well, if he's love, how could he possibly hate? Love mandates hate. You see, God will never sign off on evil in our lives. He'll never look at our lives and say, okay, there's something destructive there, and it's okay. I want you to just go ahead and move down that road to destruction. God will never be good with anything in your life that destroys you, that destroys your relationships, and destroys your purpose, his purpose in your life. He will never sign off on it. Agape is so pure, it is so perfect, it is so loving that anything that destroys the good that God has for your life, he's going to hate. Haughty eyes, God hates arrogance and pride. A lying tongue, people who tell lies. Lies breed confusion, don't they? Hands that murder the innocent. When, when the innocent are killed, it's, God hates that. Why? Because he loves. A heart that thinks up and plans bad things, God says, I hate that. Feet that are happy to go and do evil, he says, I hate that. Then he, then he says, God, it says, God hates a false witness. What does that mean? It means someone telling a lie that's causing a problem in someone else's life. Speaking lies like that, it hurts people. And the seventh thing God finds detestable and hates, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Another version put it this way, a troublemaker in the family. How many of you have one of those? So God detests that situation. And when we as believers, as Christians, are operating in a way that is hurting other people, that is doing these things, God says, my love mandates that I hate those actions, I hate those activities, and I don't want you to do those things. Why? Because I love these people. Love hates evil because evil destroys. Evil isolates. Evil hurts. Evil condemns. Evil is the opposite of love. So, let's shift gears here. What does God want from you? Obviously, it's easy for you to come up with the answer at the moment. But so often, we think God just wants so many other things from us. 
But we've got to understand that all those other things that you've heard that God wants from you really stem. They have to stem from love that you have for him. Otherwise, you do those things in vain. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's a huge description of what doing something good can be without love. God says it's, it's useless. He says you could tell a mountain, you could have faith to move a mountain from here to here. And it, what a great feat that is. He says, but if you do it without love, you've done nothing. He says you could have the language of angels and speak the language of angels. And it was just beautiful and say the words that nobody else can say. But if you did it without love, you could heal people. You could sell all you have to feed the poor and give everything you have to give to the and, and give it all to the poor. And he says, but if you did it without love, it's useless. So all the things that you could list to say, all right, this is what God wants from me. He wants me to do this and this and this and this and this. It's exhausting. And God says, I just want you to love me. I was talking to Amy yesterday, and it was just an interesting conversation. I, I remembered back before I met her how I was kind of dreading meeting somebody because it's work. You got to set time aside. You got to, you know, you got to take them out to eat. You got to do all the stuff. And she agreed. She, you know, she had the same thoughts, you know. And but how fun it's been and how easy it's been. And I've not dreaded a moment of it. It's just been absolutely fun. Why? Because there's love. And when you love God, all the stuff that you do for him. That's not what he wants. He wants you to love him. And those things are the result of it. All the things that you would do for him, it's got to be from love. So here's the problem, or I'm sorry, the bottom line. God doesn't want religion from you. He wants love. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, that's what he was after. He had already established religion without the cross. But he said, that's not enough. I want love. I want your affections. I want you to come into my house and I want you to feel my presence. And I want you to feel emotion from me. Love. I want you to care for me. I want you to like what I like because you love me. I want you to dislike what I dislike because you love me. You see, God was tired of heartless sacrifices. Religion is a legal contract. It says, okay, God, we do this, you do that in return. God, you do this, we'll do this in return. It's a legal contract. It's a covenant in that way. But God got bored with that. He said, There's, you expect me to do something for you without your love. Just because you do something, you light a few candles or you do this or that, you make a few sacrifices, you expect me to do something for you, but there's no love in this relationship. God got bored with it. He was tired of it. It was heartless. And God didn't like the idea of people expecting him to do something like a legal contract. Okay, God, here's my 50 bucks. You give me this. God's like, no, there's no heart in that. And when Jesus came, he said this. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things I want from you. I want you to recognize I've loved you and I've poured my love into you. And now I want you to love the people around you. You see, God doesn't just want you to do the right thing in life. He wants more and he deserves more, doesn't he? God deserves more. God wants you to love him. So for hundreds of years, the Israelites that made the right sacrifices at the right times, in the right places, they did the right ceremonies and all of those things. But God wanted more. He wanted more. And he wants more out of you and me. He wants more than ceremony. He wants more than pomp and circumstance. He wants more than you getting up in the morning and saying a chant. He wants to hear from you. From your heart. You ever heard a Christian that chants every morning? No? It's creepy, to be honest with you. I was on a mission trip, and one of the guys that was on the trip with us, I could hear him through the wall every morning saying the same thing over and over for like an hour. To be honest with you, I thought, man, Lord, I'm kind of, morning, God, you know, I'm, I'm the kid that's sitting in class that's opening a piece of paper that's got a gum stuck in it, you know. Morning, God, here's my prayer list. Uh, he wants to hear from your heart. He doesn't need you to learn a chant. He wants to hear from you. He loves you personally. You know, you can do a lot of religious things and yet do nothing to impress God. You can show up here every Sunday and see, sing three songs with us. For 10 years you could do that. That's, that's 1,560 songs that you would sing. And you could sing those for 10 years with no affection, no love, no connection. But 10 years, you could sing 1,560 songs for 10 years and just never have that towards God. It takes a choice, like I read earlier, that David made. God, I choose to love you. I choose to worship you. I choose to set my affection on you. You matter to me. You see, God has deeper, more passionate, agape love available for those who accept and love Him. Look what it says in Romans 5.10. Even when we were God's enemies, He made peace with us. That's, that's the, the love that's in the air. That's like the sunshine. He made peace with us. He forgave everybody for their sins. And now salvation is no longer about sins being forgiven. That's already been done. It's already been taken care of. That legal part is off the table. And God says this is no longer about the law. This is no longer about a legal contract with you. This is about you and me personally having a relationship that you care about who I am. He says he made peace with us because his son died for us. Yet something even greater than friendship is ours. What is he saying? There's more than that for us. There's more than that. There's love and greater love for us because we have him. Agape binds itself to us. And that's what Jesus has done in our lives when you accept him into your life. He binds himself to us. Secondly, agape gives itself. Agape gives itself. You give yourself over because of love. 
Agape gives himself. And look at what Jesus did. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave what? Himself to us. Love mandates giving. You can give without loving, can't you? You can. But you can't love without giving. And I'm not just talking about money. You find the things that they like. And you say, oh, I want to get that for them. I want to do that. And once you know what someone likes and you just go and search and you find, I want to give that to them. You see, God wants to be that generous to you. The more you let his agape come in, the more he's able to give to you. Number three, agape covers over sin. When you read about what Jesus did and how he treated people and how Jesus lived this life and how he he took care of people and how he covered over their sin, it's absolutely amazing. You see, the religious people were forever running around, pointing the finger at each other, trying to say, well, I'm more powerful than you. I've sinned less than you. I've I've accomplished the Ten Commandments better than you. I, I tithe more than you. And all of the stuff that they ran around doing, stirring up trouble, they were merciless, pushing to get ahead. That's not who Jesus is. And listen, you're going to see religious people in the community, people in the name of Jesus trying to push their weight around, trying to, trying to stir up trouble. How many of you have seen that? They'll stir up trouble, even in churches, in good churches sometimes. You'll have people who are, are claim to be Christians that are stirring. Listen, God's agape love does not do that. One day, Jesus dragged, or one day they dragged a woman in front of Jesus And they accused her of adultery and they said, Jesus, the law says what? You have to kill her. We have to stone her to death for this. And what did Jesus do? He covered over her sin. He protected her. Zacchaeus, a thieving tax collector, a little man with a big wallet. He was sitting in a tree and he was waiting for Jesus to come passing by. And you can imagine the anticipation in that little guy's heart. As Jesus came into town and everybody was pressing around Jesus and he was like, man, what I would give to know that guy. And Jesus heard his voice and he came up to Zacchaeus Zacchaeus, and he said, hey, come on down. I'm going to your house today. And Jesus, while this man was hated by everybody in the community, Jesus covered over his sin and he loved him. What did Zacchaeus do? Well, he went and made things right with everybody he had stolen from. Why? Because that's what God wanted. No, God wanted Zacchaeus to love him. And that's why he did it. A prostitute came and anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair, cleaned his feet. This woman of ill repute. And while everybody looked on and couldn't even believe that Jesus was allowing this to happen, you read the story in the scripture. They couldn't believe Jesus was allowing this, and they despised this woman for even coming in and interrupting this time. And she wept, and she worshiped, and Jesus knew how pure it was. And Jesus looked at her, and he loved her. He didn't take his own reputation into account and and despise her and push her away and say, woman, what are you doing? But Jesus loved her, and what did he do? He covered over her. Her sin. Jesus covers over the sin of the humble. He lets the humble get up as though they've never sinned, walk and do it, do their life. 
And when we cultivate agape in our lives, instead of pointing out sin, what do we do? We cover it up. How many of you have ever been in a church that covers over the sin of the people? Now, we're not talking about some cover-up of scandal and stuff. We're talking about loving each other and going, okay, there's grace for that. There's mercy for that. Agape squelches your critical spirit. And God's spirit fills you with agape if you'll let him. And it squelches that critical spirit. If someone, listen, if someone's always criticizing you, putting you down, critical of every move that you have, finding fault with you, that's not agape. And quite honestly, they're not your friend. You need to stop that voice. And at the same time, if someone sees you destroying your life, agape says, hey, you're destroying your life. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you from what I see, I love you enough that I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to be here for you. That's agape. Why? Because agape, love, also hates. It hates the things that destroy lives. So we've got to understand that. And the Apostle Peter wrote this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It says, hey, in humility, let's stay together. Let's continue to work together. Let us love you through this. Let us be there for you. We're not here to hurt you. We're not here to push you away. If you will humbly walk through this, we'll humbly walk through it with you. You see, a person that has God's agape flowing through them isn't listening and looking for what the wrong things you're doing in life are. We're looking for where you're headed. That's what matters to us most. And Jesus was forever trying to teach his disciples this. He was forever trying to get people to understand this principle. So many times Jesus did things just to see who would stay with him. Jesus would do things that would confuse them, just like what I just talked about. The woman coming in and washing his feet with her hair, that confused the people. They were like, what in the world is this? Why is he doing this? And he allowed this situation and he allowed other situations like the disciples going and picking picking from the fields on the Sabbath. He allowed for that. Why? Because he wanted to see who would stick with him and love him in spite of what they didn't understand about him. And in the same way, you and I need to let God's agape love flow through us to others. Instead of seeing the bad, see the good in others. Start seeing the good in your husband. Guys, listen, he may not be able to come home and tell you everything about his day, but he's good at something. Start loving your wife's agape love. See the good in her. She may not be able to cook, but she can do something. I think we'll pass that one right up. (laughs) Women can do all things. There we go. All right. You know, it's amazing when you go to a funeral, how quickly someone who has been mean, ugly, and bad in life is suddenly a saint. And why is that? Well, some call it respect. But it also is, you know, it's that absence makes the heart grow fonder. When we're no longer a threat or no longer threatened by that person. 
we can all of a sudden forget about all their bad and we just want to remember the good. We need to begin living in such a way that agape love flows through us where we, you know, it's really interesting how many times people sit out there and they think that when they've met with me about something going on in their life, that I'm up here thinking about it when I'm looking at you. I'm not. And most of the time, your story becomes one of 10,000 that I've heard, and I'm not sure which one was you. <laughs> and that's a gift, I think. But it's also a gift that I hope that you understand that I'm not listening to your story so that I can judge you or put you down. I'm listening to your story so that I can help you move forward. I don't want to remember your story any more than you do. And I certainly am not going to use it against you. James David, would you come? And here's the key that I want to encourage you also with today, that when it comes to your love and your life for other people, you can have agape love for everyone. Your love can be like the air or like the sunshine or like the rain for everyone. But it's different than that with those who are closer to you. You need to reserve deeper agape for those who will really let you agape them. Jesus had agape for the world. But then he had agape for around 600 that were closer followers than the entire world. But then beyond those 600, there were the 70 Remember the 70 that he trained and he sent them out? Deeper love for them. But then there was a deeper love for the 12. But then even more, there was a deeper love for the three, Peter, James, and John. But then there was that one, his name was John. And John absolutely just knew Jesus loved him. And as I said earlier, you'll read throughout his book, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. John was an expert on Jesus' love. And because he believed Jesus loved him, it opened up that relationship in a way that Jesus responded to. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looked at John and he said, Behold your mother. I'm turning my mother over to you because I know you love me and you'll take care of her. And if you will allow God's love in you, you'll let God's spirit Pour his love into you. You'll be able to forgive people that you never thought you could forgive. And your sanity will be restored in a way that you had no idea that it was gone. And you'll be able to love the unlovable. And you'll also have the ability to have clarity of when someone's life is being destroyed that you'll be, be like, okay, in love able to say that's not good and you'll have clarity in a, in a world of confusion 
And let me say this. I'll end with this. Love is keeping the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? It's love. And if you miss the fact that as your pastor that I love you, if you miss that fact that, that that's the kind of relationship with you that I am after is a love relationship, then at some point, I promise you in this church, you're going to become very frustrated. Because I'm not looking for a business relationship with you. Why? Because God's not looking for a business relationship with you. Yeah, there's scripture that refers to us as being like his business partners, but it is not out of a business kind of relationship with him. It's not a transaction deal anymore. God says, you will get to heaven because you and me have a personal relationship, not because of a business transaction. I'm not looking at building some big building and you getting to fund it and all of that kind of stuff. I could care less about that if you and I don't have a loving relationship. And I could care less about it even more if you and God do not have a loving relationship. God is interested in way more than just following the rules. He's interested in way more than us just building a big building and having a big church and all of that. All he cares about is, do you really love me? Now, I don't know about you, but that excites me. Because I can do that. You can do this. Well, I don't know, John. That's so intangible. What do you mean? I was having lunch with a guy one time. And I began sharing this with him, the concept. God is looking for that relationship. And he said, I, I don't understand. He's been in the church all his life. And he fell away because of circumstances and situations that he allowed to pull him away from Christ. So I'm sharing this with him to help him to understand there's a way back. But this time you need to love God. He said, well, I don't know. I don't know how I can do that. What do you mean? That's so intangible. I go to church, I've gone to church, and I did this, and I did that. I did my devotions and all of that stuff, but it didn't work out. So what are you talking about? He just couldn't wrap his head around it. I said, well, what about your relationship with your wife? Do you know if she loves you? And do you know if you love her? And he still looked confused which explains why I ended up divorced a couple of years later. Your relationship with your spouse is very indicative of your relationship with him, whether or not you're capable of loving and being loved. Do the work to love God. I can't do that for you. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. So I want to read a scripture to you as we conclude, and we do have communion in just a few minutes. Romans chapter 8. What shall we say in response to these things? All the stuff that he had already said is just beautiful. This is the book of Romans that I was, I've been kind of taking you through some of it today. He said, if God is for us, 
That's what he's established prior to this. If God is for us, based on what I've already told you, God loves us, God's for us, he cares about us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding, that's praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. And I love this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any, anything else in creation, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced of that? He loves you. And when you love him back, it allows him to be able to shower more love on you. God, I don't sense your presence. Okay, love him. But God, when I pray, I don't sense that you're even hearing me. Love him. You'll begin to sense. God, when I come into church, I don't feel anything. I just, ah, it's just, and then John gets up and preaches and blah, blah. You want to feel him? Love him. Your devotions will come alive. Your worship will come alive. Suddenly, the reason you worship and love him makes sense. God's waiting on you. He's already done his part. and Nothing will separate you from his love. Go after him. Would you bow your heads? What are you afraid of? Maybe you did the Christian thing a long time ago and it just didn't work out. Here's a new way. A different way. You see, when you love Him, it doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what the religious elite or trouble people stir up, even if they call them in the name of Jesus. It's, it's you and God. Is it you and God? Are you together? When people see you, do they see Jesus is with you? That you love him? Do they know it? Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to do what he did on the cross for me, for all of us. And today we come to you. 
humble hearts and we say we choose to love you. Thank you for loving me. In spite of all of my sin, Christ died for me. Come on, give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I choose to love you in Jesus' name.